0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to episode 31 of Across the Romaverse. Sean and I are here today to recap the Benevento match uh, as best as we can. Uh, it was a bit of a snoozer for for most of us. Uh, we definitely expected better from Roma, so we'll get into that. And then we'll also look ahead to Thursday's second leg against Braga. There's some, some positives to report on the Europa League front, at least. So we'll get into those things, Sean. Uh, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm all right. I spent most of the day... Clearing stuff out, dealing with couriers, and uh, this is really the first chance I've had all day to sit down, so um, this is the best part of my day, I'm not lying when, when I say that, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know people will be listening to this podcast early on the Tuesday morning tomorrow, so yeah, we've got a job ahead of us to make uh, make sure that Tuesday actually goes goes okay and doesn't start off depressing
0: yeah so I guess it was a busy day if this is the best part of your day talking about this uh (laughs) kind of drab nil nil but we'll we'll do the best we can to make it exciting for people on their way to work or wherever they they like to listen to us so uh but before we get into the match there's a big rumor update today uh that Bren put together a piece on the site just a few hours ago about Dusan Vlaovic of Fiorentina he's kind of a a hot name in Serie A a couple teams have been linked to him including Roma and according to Il Romanista, uh, Roma has actually met with his agent twice already, if reports are to be believed. So, 21 uh, year old striker, he's a big striker, six foot two, kind of along that Jeco body type mold, uh, a little different than Myrall uh, in terms of body type. He's got 17 goals, 69 appearances in all competitions for Fiorentina in his brief career so far. Um, and this season, about a half a goal every 90 minutes, which puts him about the 70th percentile for strikers in Serie A. Uh, not bad numbers, definitely a, a high upside type prospect when you watch him play. Um, and the, the most surprising part of the report to me uh, that Bren summed up was that it's speculated by Il Romanista that he could be had for as low as 15 million euros as he looks for a new contract and looks for a, a bigger club. Sean, what are your thoughts on Vlaovic? And then uh, we can get into this speculated move a little bit, I guess.
1: Yeah, I just, I just want to be clear on that last point, because that, that's actually the, the point when I read that that made me pull up the original Israel nation report to, to really check if they actually said that and I, I couldn't read that in the article itself okay. so um, I'm not yeah I'm not outright saying that uh, Bren's wrong but, uh, but I, I had a quick read and they, I did see 50 million euros mentioned in the article but that, they were talking about what mail out they're talking mm. about the option the option we have on mail out for, the, for this summer and uh, the 20 million option that it goes to next summer so that they, they're speculated on that and then as far as Vlaovic, what I read was um, them saying that uh, He's on 700,000 euros a year right now, a season uh, at Fiorentina. And his agent has managed to cheese off uh, Rocco Comiso by asking for two and a half million a year, um, something that's above Fiorentina's pay grade, but is actually pretty much an average salary at Roma for if you're a senior starter, which I, I don't know if we're considering the average that if we sign him. Um, but it's more doable for Roma to, to pay his, his rumored desired wages in Fiorentina. and that, That's probably why this is being. Tout as a realistic story As for of lavish himself i mean when we say he's a player with high upside is that is that sort of like morse code for he doesn't score enough
0: mm. that's a that's a i mean when i hear high upside i think of a young player who could you know really break out i mean at this point he's yeah. not scoring a ton i know he's been playing well of late i haven't really watched Fiorentina lately but um i know he popped mm. up on the score sheet this past week i believe um so i mean I'm looking now at transfer market and I think this is where Bren might have uh, gotten that 15 million euros from. Cause he's, he's root, you know, when transfer market does player values, he's valued yeah. by them around 15 million 17.6 uh, okay. million Americans. So um, to me, if, if he could be had for the 15 to 20 million range um, you know, even though I prefer a more seasoned striker like Belotti, especially if we can qualify for champions league, I think he'd be a better fit, you know, in going into a big competition Vlaovic uh, at that price point is not a bad value, I think, for a player who really does look to have that high upside that you mentioned. But the problem would be, and then yeah, you're that, you're running with Meyer Allen and Vlaovic probably. So not much experience at the striker position.
1: Yeah. If Vlaovic is seriously on the market for 15 million, then uh, you're definitely interested. You know, is, yeah. uh, did, how many how many players or how many talents like him are going around at, at that price right now. Even even in this mm-hmm. post COVID mercato. But uh I, I've Mostly, always seen him quoted at like the starting price is forty mil. Yeah, um, and uh, I just, I think, mean, I guess what I'm getting at with my earlier question is just that: how do we really feel about Vladek? How do I feel like I, I, I like what, like you said, I like what he could become when you see his physique and his build and and the way he puts himself about the pitch and and the passion, even though sometimes it's sometimes misdirected. But we've said that about Jan Lukomarčin mm-hmm. before he came to the club, and he's turned out to be great. So I, I do. You know, I, I like the idea of Vlaovic, but it's just an idea so far. What we've seen on the pitch doesn't convince me that much. It doesn't bowl me over, you know what I mean? So it's it's not like I like... I have even more positive feelings towards like Skamaka or um, mm-hmm. Pinamonti than Vlavic, uh, than Even though I know that we're talking about different build of players, uh, different build of striker, but uh, I, I'm more excited about those kind of out-and-out strikers... Um, not, sorry, Skamak is not a dunk striker. He's, he's more of a forward. But um, even him, like, even as awkward as Kamak is, I'm more excited about what he could do. Um, and I'm, I'm also just not, I'm over the whole like false nine deep play up front at Roma. Um, if we could just become a, a team that could. Actually, make a home for a traditional striker, I'd be I'd be happy with that. So that that's my feelings. But how 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 about you, Steve?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I personally I I like Skamaka. Pinamonti looks like a good prospect too, like you said. Um Vlaovic has turned it on of late. So it could be that he's just kind of really developing now as a striker. I mean, um, just 21 years old. So I could see why teams are interested in him, especially big teams, because if you could get him for the right price, he looks like the type of guy that could really explode on the right team. He's got eight mm-hmm. of his nine Serie A goals this season uh, since December sixteenth. So eight goals in his last twelve matches. It looks like so really, yeah. really on fire. Had a goal and an assist against Spezia actually this past week on a uh, Friday. So he's really starting to turn it on. After that's, a, that's of, actually,
1: so that's a, that's a that's a very fair point that you make because uh, I know Fiorentina play a very sort of um, uh, how could we call it? I don't want to say stretched because Roma play stretched, but for, if if Roma plays stretch, Fiorentina really play like elastic football, where <laughs> they they rely on on the individual talent to really make up a lot of yeah. ground. Like they they used to lean on uh, Jordan Zatou really hard um, to like do the work of three men. Um, they're, they're not the most organized team in the league, so yeah, that's that's not a club where you, you would have high goal numbers. So you, you're right there. If you if you jump to a club like Roma, you, you'd expect a better performance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, we'll get it. We can get a good look at him in just about a, a little over a week because Roma play Fiorentina midweek next week uh, in, in two match days after Milan. There's a, a kind of one of those midweek sessions where um, everybody plays middle, middle of the week, which isn't the best when you're working. But, uh, you know, we'll find a way to watch it at some point in the day, <laughs> um, whether it's even if it's a little on delay. But I'm, I'm curious to see him because I haven't really seen him since he's kind of come on lately. I, I haven't really watched Fiorentina, I think, since really Roma played them earlier in the year. They haven't. Uh, been on against any of the big teams too much for me to kind of catch some of the match. But uh, like, like we said, if at 15 million, 20 million, you have a shot at them, heck, why not go for it? Especially if it's going to cost you half of what somebody else might cost. And you could use the rest of the money on goalkeeper or another position of need come summer. So uh, could be an intriguing option. Who knows how much, you know, the reporting is true about the two meetings. You know, sometimes there was there's was speculation about a legendary meeting Pinto too. And it turned out they just happened to be at the same, hotel or mm. something, not even formally meeting. So, you know, the the the, the press likes to make things up and it, it's convenient that the day after Roma really had problems up front that uh the striker position comes up really uh, big in the yeah. news. So we'll see what comes out of it.
1: Well I think I think specifically this one made Israel Nice's headline because it was Tiago Pinto who, who mm. met up with uh yeah. Italian representative. So it was it was sort of seen like, well, this is Pinto's first order of business that he must be really interested in the kid. So yeah. Like I said, we'll see if it's true or not.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I think, I mean, the writing is probably finally on the wall with Dzeko. I think, you know, he's playing the good soldier, I think at this point now, but I think it's got to be the end of the road come, come this summer, you would think, if they could find the taker for him.
1: You know what the irony of that is, is that of all the people motivated for Palo Fonseca to stay at the club, Ellen think has to be near the top of that list, if not number one. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because we, when we, hired Di Francesco as coach. We made sure to clear out Francesco Totti before so that the new coach wouldn't have that dilemma of getting rid of an icon. Then when we hired um, Paolo Fonseca as coach, we made sure to get rid of Daniele De Rossi before so that he didn't have that dilemma mm. as an as icon. If we hire a new coach this summer, Jacko's definitely gone. Because yeah. we you don't, you don't want that new coach to be having that dilemma of a of clash with Jacko. So his, really his only chance, if his heart is, a, is staying at the club, which I'm convinced it always has been, Um, his best chance of staying at Roma and even getting game time is actually with Paolo Fonseca. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of ironic. (laughs) You're right. It is ironic. Um, (laughs) So we'll see what happens. And we'll get into Jekyll a little bit because he did have a part to play in this match um, and probably will in Braga too. So we'll get into Jekyll a little more later. Uh, But before we get into the recap, one other thing that came up before the match was a banner that was hung by some of the Roma Ultras basically stating that Pellegrini is not their captain. Uh, because mm-hmm. of a, a post he put on Instagram of him having uh, a birthday dinner with Chiro Immobile for Immobile's what, birthday. Uh, what a crime. Yeah, what a crime is right. To me, it's absurd <laughs> because, you know, yeah. I like the the rivalry. I I have... My best friend is a Lazio fan, you know, and you know it's part of Steve, life. You're Steve, going. To-
1: Steve re- resign from this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you know, uh, it's it's bound to happen that some of these players, especially players that play on the same national team, are going to be friendly together. You know, um, uh, so to yeah, me, I'm, it, I'm, it's crazy. I'm shocked.
1: Pellegrini cares about Chiro's feelings more than my own as a fan. He's never <laughs> met him, even though Chiro meets right. up with him every every week. Right. I'm
0: you know, they're boys off the pitch. And when they're when you see when they play with Italy and they're in trainings, you see certain players tend to be friends with each other. And, and those are two guys that are friends with each other. Them, Belotti is usually, you know, even Belotti and Immobile, oh, they should like dislike each other because they have to battle for a spot on, on the national team starting 11. But seems like they're always together chatting it up when they're in training photos and things like that with Italy. So I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, the old school mentality of you have to hate somebody because they play for the other team has gone out the window. And some people have a hard time accepting that. Um, you know, because I'm a big New York Yankees fan. And, and nowadays, you know, you still hate to see the Yankees lose to the Red Sox, but the players are friends, most of them off the field. So I think that old school mentality is kind of going out the window with free agency and, and the active transfer market in, in football. So I have no problem with it. It seems like you have no problem with it either um, based on, no, on your, no, your no, sarcasm totally. I, about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, sarcasm aside, I, if I'm being serious, I often wonder if this isn't just like I said it yesterday on the forum. If it isn't just like three or four fans at most that decide to get together and and put up a banner, mm-hmm. and then the papers think, oh, you know, what a pretty banner outside, you know, and that'll be yep. for a good article and a nice picture. So that that makes the news story. But why are the rest of us meant to care? You know, yeah, it's like they, they, they. I don't think that they represent the majority. Certainly, don't speak for me. Um, apparently, they 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 speak for a part, a section of the curvaceous. So they are season ticket holders if if they are three or four they're, they're season ticket holders and that their opinion counts more than mine as far as the club goes because I, I haven't put money into the club in a long time unless you count like my my TV subscription all the way from a, from a different country so you know, I, I'm not more important than their opinion that's they, more important than mine but they, they don't speak for me um, yeah I, I, Steve, I, I know you buy kits, so I'm I'm the least important fan of us of, <laughs> all three or three of us but yeah it's not it's not how I feel towards Pellegrini I'm perfectly fine with him. Uh, meeting up with a, a, an Italy squad mate for his birthday. Um, it's nice to know that Lorenzo Pellegrini has basic social skills, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. And I said about that. So, yeah. if you if you want a really good, um, maybe we'll get into it on a podcast sometime. But if you want a really good Roma Lazio story about uh, Roma play you're getting along with Lazio players, you should read up on Franco Cordova, who was the Roma captain during the seventies and a bit of a bad boy in his time. Really the raginangling of his era um he was he was carrying the roma team for, for ages but then he, he fell out with the roma president of the time um whose name is i've forgotten right now but he fell out over being married to to the former president's daughter and and the, the current Roma president at that time for some reason took it upon himself to really go to war with Cordova. so during a dabi della capitale the, the just before like weeks before he knew he was getting transferred or, or was really edging for a transfer to Lazio. He was sort of like you know talking with Lazio players all throughout the game throughout that 90 minutes because it's Cordova. Um it's a really good story and uh m- maybe we'll get into it later on but yeah
0: that'll yeah. make good uh good story time before yeah. the derby or
1: something.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh man so on that note you know so, well everybody's off mad about Pellegrini having dinner with Immobile we'll get into the recap to upset them even more. Um, so just going into this one, you know, Roma came into this match with a chance to close within three points of second place Milan, who had lost to Inter, uh, in decisive fashion earlier in the day, Inter really took it to him. So, uh, you know, Roma could have pulled within three heading into the match against the Rossoneri next weekend. Um, and Benevento just was looking for a point clearly to help their survival campaign as I think they're nine or 10 above the drop. Now they're in pretty decent position for a newly promoted team. Um, but in the previous meeting, Roma had defeated Benevento 5 2 and was 3 0 all time against the Sorcerers With, if I, I believe I heard right in the telecast yesterday, 14 goals scored between those three matches. So they've been, you know, lighting up Benevento repeatedly in the couple of seasons that Benevento's been up. But and, for and some apparent, reason.
1: So apparently also 29 straight wins against newly promoted Serie A side. For yes.
0: I had 24 down. I was wrong. I had 24. I think 24. it was 29. Yeah. It was either 24 or 29. I heard it during the telecast. So I didn't have it in writing in front of me. But. Uh, Yeah, long win streak. It was a record uh, Serie A win streak against newly promoted sides. So um, Roma had seemed to have everything going for them, including a couple couple wins to have some momentum coming into this one. They did have a bit of an injury crisis in defense coming into this one. Smalling and Kambula have been out for a couple weeks now. Uh, Ibanez and Cristante both left that Braga match injured uh, in the course of the match. So it was Federico Fazio called into action for his first league start since the summer, since I believe it was the Juve match that closed out last season. So it's been quite a while for him. And Fonseca stuck with the three man back line, despite only having Mancini and Fazio as true center backs in the starting 11. And again, played with Leonardo Spinazzola as the third center back, which hasn't looked that bad against the, you know, Beneventos and Bragas of the world. Spinazzola has been pretty secure. So uh, um Lo and behold, the issue for Roma was not defense where we were worried about their, you know, Fazio playing for the first time in a long time, possibly seeing Juan Jesus, who we did see for part of this match. Um, You know, Roma dominated possession 71-29, but lacked any cutting edge in the attack. And that that was where the real issue was, despite having all the weapons at his disposal. Uh, Fonseca could not find a goal. They had 11 shots, but only four of them on target the XG was under one, it was 0. 0.92. And that really jumped up really late in the match. It was around 0. 0.3 something, I think for most of the match uh, mm-hmm. until the last couple of minutes until stoppage time. Um, and all that was with, you know, Roma being up a man for over 30 minutes, more than a half hour in the 57th minute, Camille Glick received his second yellow card. Uh, and Roma looked like they had everything going for him uh, in the last 30. You, you would have thought at that point, I kind of said to myself, all right, time to like start, you know, really going to work now even though it's zero zero start just pouring on the pressure Uh, but Roma really didn't find any real good chances until the very death when uh, Stefan El-Sharari was taken down in the box Um, penalty was called and then it turned out it went to VAR and it wasn't that it wasn't a a foul but Lorenzo Pellegrini who had played in El-Sharari was offside before the touch uh, so that you know Axe the penalty call and the match ended just a moment later 0-0 ended that win streak that Sean mentioned against newly promoted sides uh ended Roma's perfect record against Benevento and their perfect record against bottom half sides who they had not lost a match to all season or dropped points to all season uh so disappointing result especially when we consider the other results around the league which we'll talk about a little bit later um Sean what do you make of them
1: so I just want to say uh, while we mentioned the Juan Jesus, he actually saved us from from losing the game
0: yeah yesterday. yeah, he did have a, a decisive tackle at one point in the last 20 minutes yeah. of the match when he was playing so and yeah. Fazio didn't play sorry. poorly either uh, as another side note
1: well he, he never, as as my bias speaking, but he never plays poorly for yeah my book. He's, he's always he's always proactive when it comes to taking football to the opposition but um so were you, you going to ask me something or
0: yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, Roma being held scoreless by a teammate demolished earlier in the season, despite being up a man and it throwing on a slew of attacking players. By the time the match ended, Roma had about five attacking type players on. Um, you know, Dzeko yeah. and Meyer all were on the pitch together. Pedro was on the pitch. Uh, El Shawari was on the pitch. Um, and Pellegrini, I believe, was still on the pitch. So they had like yeah. five real attacking type players in the match uh, yeah. and just couldn't do anything with it. So what do you what do you make of uh, you know, the struggles, yesterday. do you blame maybe fatigue from the Europa League match? Do you blame, um, you know, just Benevento packing it in so tightly, tightly, Roma couldn't break him down? I know um, after the match, Fonseca kind of just said, we weren't really concentrated. You know, uh, we need to shoot more from the outside, especially in matches like this. Uh, you know, kind of lack of concentration, lack of cutting edge, kind of mentioned those things. He didn't really make excuses. He kind of just pointed out what he saw wrong. So what do you make of it?
1: Yeah, I agree with his comments. Um, I know someone said I know I know specifically who said it on the forums, Interpool, who's uh, um, one of our one of our writers at Vox Media for the for the inter site, Serpents de la Madonina, who said um, the way you get teams to stretch um, and come out of, of their hole when they're defending deep is take long shots because then they've got to worry about getting their midfielders to come out and, and close you down if they know that you're a threat from long range. And I agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure who of our players, I would say, is a threat from the long range. Maybe Mkhitaryan, it comes to mind. But, um, yeah, I, I agree that more, more long shots have to be taken. Even Jordan Vertu said that mm-hmm. last week. I think it was um, – made the same comment. So it's it's clearly something they've, they've discussed in the dressing room before this weekend, and it just hasn't – I haven't remembered to do it on the pitch. But the number one thing I – I would say put it put it down to is um Benevento played the way Juve played against us. They they defended deep, and we've talked about it before on mm-hmm. this podcast. We always get nervous when we feel like we're going to face an opponent that just uh, shuts up shop and plays Cat against us. And that, that's exactly what Benevento did. They really only spared Lapadula up front. Every yeah. uh, the other ten men were defending, and um, Roma haven't. Uh, been accustomed to having to break down teams like that. Yeah, they they did do it a lot in the first season, and found out that it was hard. And that was when Fonseca decided, okay, you know what, I'm going to go take a leaf out of Gasparini's book, at Atlanta, and play a free at the back. Um, so now what we have is a Roma team that's very used to letting the backline players do a lot of the work in terms of attracting opponents towards them. Um, you know, carrying the ball. Passing it around with them, like you know, letting the the, op- the opposition strikers and midfielders know, hey, wouldn't you like to take the ball off me? Yeah, you know, they take it out wide. They they try and uh, bait them into coming out wide, and then when when the hole opens in the middle of the field, they put it in for Pellegrini, Mkhitaryan, um, you know whoever's up front just to run onto it and finish that that counter within three touches or less. Um, that's what this current Roma side is used to doing. Mm-hmm. But if a team just says, look. We're not gonna close you down or try to take the ball off you, no matter what. We're happy with the draw. Then you've got it. You've got suddenly you're asking your your front six players to really work off the ball, make runs for each other, um, make runs to try and attract their marker. You know to to really drag that marker out position, try and create holes deep inside the opponent's half. And guys like Mkhitaryan, Vertu, um, VR as well. I'd, int- I'd include him yesterday in terms of disappointing names uh Mkhitaryan as well like not so much but still and uh Bruno Perez especially they just didn't move around enough mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if, if that's what Fonseca means by concentration but they didn't they, they didn't show the desire to put in that work off the ball making runs and, and trying to create space for teammates um it's been Mancini, Ibanez, uh, Kumbula, Smalling a little bit and yesterday also Fazio who have been doing that kind of work all season long for the, for, the, for their teammates. And uh, they've just become too accustomed to letting those backline players do that work. When really, if more teams decide to play against us like Benevento and Juventus have recently, we're going to be asking very different jobs from from players up front than what they've been used to so far this season. But yeah, that's that's my long monologue on, on why we lost yesterday but what, what, what would you put it down to I know there were other factors like the tiredness how, how do you feel like that came into that
0: yeah so just real quick um, before I get to that you had mentioned how Juve played differently against us than the first time and now Benevento and it seems like both of those teams learned from their mistakes in the first match where they played much more open and Roma were able to draw Juve and really hammer Benevento Benevento tried to to play you know run and gun with us and score two of their own goals but then ended up giving up five and I think uh, people in Zaghi really learned his lesson and said, you know what, we're going to pack it in. If we can get Lapadula a chance or we can get Caprari a chance or someone like that, a chance to maybe steal a goal and steal a win, we'll do that. And he even came out after the match and said, you know, if we stayed with 11 men, I think we would have won. I don't agree with him necessarily because I think, uh, you know, if Benevento had gone for another goal up a man, I think not another goal, but a goal in general, I think it would have favored Roma more because, you know, like you said, when, when teams pack it in Roma can't, Can't break them down i i agree i think they need to shoot more from outside the box in matches like this even if they're not necessarily on target a lot of the time because past seasons we've seen that where players would just shoot from long range um and and miss the goal and you're like oh why are you doing that but it does draw those midfielders out especially um and i think that's where roma misses a player like a a rajan Nangalan of the past who would not be afraid to to take a shot from 25 meters if he had to just to draw players out um vr and didn't play in playing this one but those are two midfielders who I almost never shoot the ball for Roma gun shy uh, they're very gun shy those two uh, yeah. Pellegrini will shoot occasionally but he's been so good at making those runs in the box like you said that he's not really sitting out at the top of the box looking for shots anymore he's kind of just looking for those runs um, and I think part of it has to do with a little bit of fatigue uh, I think Mikatarian's playing a lot of minutes I don't think he had his best match yesterday he was pretty quiet for a lot of the match he did draw both, both both cards on Glick. He drew a couple other fouls. So he wasn't his worst game, but it also wasn't his best game. He wasn't his sharpest, I think. And yeah. I think to break down a tightly packed Benevento defense, Rome had to be a lot sharper yesterday, and they weren't. Um, I don't know if it's because they're so used to being able to counter and play open football, like you said, kind of stretched football lately, that you know they're kind of just looking for those passes. But when the spaces are tight, they can't find those passes now. And it, it becomes very difficult because we saw it against Udinese earlier in the year. Uh, you know, we saw it yesterday. We saw it against Juve where when teams pack it in, they have a difficult time breaking them down. You know, the Udinese result came down to pretty late in the match when Pedro scored the first time around. Um, yeah. when, when Roma scores earlier, they're a lot better. Uh, and Roma does yeah. score a lot in the first half we've seen um, because then they can manage the game better. And they're going to have to find ways against teams like this where they don't score first or they don't score early. And then a smaller team says, "You know what? We're going to pack it in for a point because a point against Roma for us is golden when we're six, seven points yeah. on relegation zone." So that's something Rob's going to have and to I, work on.
1: And to build on that, I, I would even actually agree with Simone and Zagi. I, I understand why he said that yesterday because, uh, like we said before, Juan Jesus saved uh, a mm. nil-nil for us yesterday yeah. at some point. So teams teams know, okay, if we pack it in, Rome will have difficulties. But they also know this is Roma's side that makes individual errors at the back. You know yes. that, that gold chance yesterday came from a. Uh, I think it was a Pellegrini giveaway. Um, so, you know, this Roma team has has trouble staying focused for ninety minutes. So yeah. we, we could even win this way, you know? I, yeah. I understand why you said that yesterday.
0: Yeah, we've seen plenty of times where those individual mistakes or those lapses have caused them in the games that they've lost, in the games that they've won. They, we've seen those individual errors. That's why Roma's given up quite a few goals at times because yeah. their, their XG against is one of the best in the league. It's just those, when teams get chances, they seem to capitalize. Um, yeah. So, what, what was
1: Benevento's XGA, by the way? It was,
0: it was like, I have it, zero. It was like uh it was pretty low. Let me see if I have it pulled up. I don't have it pulled up right now. I had it yesterday, but it was okay. It I was, was, um,
1: I, was I was imagining it was like zero point zero nine or something like that.
0: It was it was very low. Let me see. I ha- yeah. I think I have it on um there's a great Twitter account, AS Rama Data, and they have all those kind of things after the match. Yeah. They had Who's that. that account? Yeah. See, uh 0.25. Okay, so that's yeah.
1: like that's, that's that's even less than having one click. Yeah, in the whole it game. was
0: basically yeah. it jumped up around the uh 40th minute or so. Uh, and even that chance that I guess Juan Jesus cut out because he cut it out kind of early in the play did not even affect the actually
1: yeah. it didn't yeah. jump
0: up. Yeah, it's um, yeah. funny because I was I was mentioning Roma's jumped up so late, they were they were under half a goal up until the 90th minute and it jumped up on that non penalty call when uh Pellegrini ended up being offside right around yeah, there. was it, it jumped up big.
1: It was a chaotic finish and yeah. I'll be honest like, that, that's probably what made it a bit more of a kick in the teeth by the end of mm-hmm. the final whistle because I, I actually started to believe at the end. I was like okay, yes. we have to see a determined drum side and they might actually just pull this out and we'll be happy with it. will be one nil win.
0: Yeah, that I, I yeah, I never lost hope that they would score a goal because it was Benavento. They were up a man but it was just uh, it was frustrating to say the least and then I got excited for the penalty and you know because we wanted to get the win but then you know VAR <laughs> intervened and it was the right call. Was, Pellegrini was clearly offside and uh, it was a disappointing yeah. finish. So one thing we did see together that might've excited some people when it happened, uh, it intrigued me when it happened, because it was the first time we've really seen it this year is that Jekyll and Meyerall were put on the pitch together. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to get into your thoughts before we get into your thoughts. I have some stats pulled up again from AS Roma data. They actually did a breakdown of my stats in the 58 minutes uh, when he was playing as like the lone striker and the 32 minutes after Jekyll entered. So, Uh, In the 58 minutes that Myral was playing the striker position, he had 16 touches, which is one every 3.6 minutes. Uh, He made 12 passes, attempted one dribble, and had two shots blocked after Dzeko entered. Those 32 minutes, he only had five touches, which is one every 6.4 minutes, uh, and five passes. No dribbles, no shots. Um, And in that same time, Dzeko had 11 um, touches, seven passes, five aerial dues, one out of eight one shot on goal and one um, big chance created. So uh, it was intriguing to say the least to see them play together, but it looks like once Dzeko entered the fray, myral really kind of became a, a, more of a spectator than a protagonist. What, what are your thoughts on that pairing, Sean?
1: I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I know that the numbers make it sound bad, but maybe uh, I'm just going by eye test here. But before Dzeko came on, I thought, I felt Mayral was invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that he, he actually came to life on one chance inside the box, where it looked like he was going to gonna be like one of those um, Icardi type games where he just pops up one chance and bang goal. But unfortunately, the defender managed to block it at the very last minute. Um, but it looked like a really well taken shot. It came off his foot, and I thought, okay, uh, here we go. But uh, he, he was a ghost before Jacko came on. Um, so even if his numbers went down afterwards, um, I totally understand why Jacko came on because um, mm-hmm. he, he needed that that character to come into the hole in the like the AMC position which Jekyll often plays even if even if it's unofficial. Um and just and just like really just by his sheer force of presence just tell Pellegrini and Megatina, look, you you guys gotta drop deeper. And you really gotta start making runs um from deep or you know to try and make their midfielders worry about you and make them come out more, you know? Um and okay, Roma didn't play it to Dzeko's feet, they played it more to his head and that didn't really work out too well, but it was the right move to make for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, when I, before when I was looking forward to Dzeko and Miral playing together, I was looking forward to it because I felt like they could complement each other, but this I felt was just Jekyll coming on because of concerns elsewhere in the team, not really for Miral even though it, Miral was not having a good time for it anyway before he came on so it didn't really affect Miral's performance in my, in my view, it was more about getting the rest of the team to wake up.
0: Yeah, I thought it was the right move to bring Jeco on when they did. Um, yeah. and, and like you said, I, I don't think it was uh, a knock on Myral as much as getting the rest of the team fired up. I want to compliment Jeco because I think he's he's playing with the right attitude, at least for a guy who went through what we, he was just, uh, reported to have gone through a Fonseca back in January. It seems like he has gotten that past him and he played like, I don't want to say a captain yesterday because he's no longer the captain, but he put in a performance uh, that other players could look to and kind of, try to play off of which was a good thing to see because Roma's gonna need both strikers especially if they manage managed to progress in the Europa League so uh, I'm happy to see that from Dzeko I wouldn't mind seeing this occasionally when Roma do need a goal I think part of me thinks Myrol could play off Dzeko in in some ways that uh, Lautaro p- plays off of uh, Lukaku a little bit Dzeko not, mm-hmm. is nowhere near as explosive as Lukaku at this point in his career so it's a little bit different but um, when Myral's kind of isolated up there, it could be a, a chance to get him running off another player off of a, a strike, a hold up type striker. So it could be something we yeah. see going forward. I mean, I don't think it's um, out of the realm of possibility. I think uh, you know, yes, it was just a bad day all around for Roma. But on a positive note, it was the third straight clean sheet for Paulo Lopez in all competitions after um, last weekend's win um, against Udinese and then the Braga win midweek and then yesterday. So it's three straight clean sheets for Paulo Lopez. And the first time uh, I heard during the telecast that Roma's had back-to-back uh, league clean sheets under Fonseca, uh, despite a, a makeshift backline. So in that respect, we did have some positives. Um, mm-hmm. I know Lopez wasn't too busy, but are you starting to feel a little more comfortable with Lopez?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, what? everything we said about him, everything I've said about him, I, he's surprised me once again. It's the first time I felt safe with Paul Lopez at the back. Um, I, I, Yesterday, I literally there was a point in the match where I was like, you know what? Like it's like Lopez collected the ball. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm really not worried about anything that happens at the back today. And it was because of Paul Lopez. It wasn't because of Benevento.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: he, you know, he, he played sweeper keeper. Um, he made sure that our play didn't die at the back. You know, he, like if he had to be the eleventh out, out on the pitch and keep the ball moving fast, he did it. He came out when he had to. Um, he just kept play going, and and you know he. He did everything right. Like like you said, he, he didn't have much to do as an actual keeper, but he was, he was alive. He wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was just a fixture in the game. He was alive and he was part of the team. And that was good to see. So I was surprised by that.
0: What yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he's established himself at this point as, as the starter going forward. Um, you know, he's starting to build some confidence. I'm hoping that these clean sheets and even if uh, he's not getting a lot of action, do build some confidence in him. And he made those comments last week where he said he's starting to feel more like the beginning of last season when he looked like a good purchase initially. Um, So uh, hopefully for, you know, for Roma and for him, he he continues to build up this confidence and maybe starts to become the keeper Roma thought they were getting when they got him last year, someone who could play the ball from the back and, and can make the saves he's supposed to make. Because if he makes the saves he's supposed to make, Roma will have a good chance of winning most matches. Um, And it might get interesting in the summer if he has a good end of the year. Who knows? Maybe Keeper doesn't become as big of a need and Roma has money to spend elsewhere. We'll see. Um, Or at the very least, if they're done with him, they can actually sell him for a reasonable price.
1: Yeah. That's what I mean by I'm surprised, is that I I was feeling yesterday like, you know what? Goalkeeper isn't that much a priority if if, if he keeps playing like Mm -hmm. this. Uh, yeah, you know, I could I could live with this, and I, I had your mind, uh, your words in mind from last week where you, you mentioned that he felt like he was playing like his old self again, and it, it looked like that yesterday.
0: Yeah, and with some players, it is mental. We've seen that through the years in, in every sport, really. Mental, mental makeup uh is a big factor of performance. So we'll see going forward. um You know, if he can keep it up. uh One interesting wrinkle, and not even a wrinkle because it wasn't a wrinkle because it's been the same way Roma's been going about things, is that they stuck with the back three despite the uh lack of center back options uh many people were calling for a switch to a back four uh, prior to the match considering Mancini was really the only regular center back available um Fonseca hinted he might go with it during his press conference he didn't really go with it until he brought Dzeko on for about the last 30 minutes or so was kind of when the switch took place to a back four Roma stuck with the back three um so what are your thoughts on uh, in a match like this, especially when injuries are an issue? Because it seems that the back three does fit the personnel better. So I, I, I do think Roma has to continue with the back three in most matches when they do have their healthy center backs, because it seems to bring the best out of players like Spinazzola and Karsdorp and, uh, you know, Mancini and Ibani's will fit the back three very well. But um, in, a, in a situation like this, would you have preferred Roma go with the back four? Uh, you
1: know what? I mean, I'm a Fazio fan, so it pays me to say this, but I think the reason why, if, if this is the reason why it didn't work out yesterday, is because Fazio was on the pitch. And it's not down to his performance. It's just the fact that I saw Mancini hanging back and like, he looked overly aware that if I, if I go forward with the ball, which I, I desperately wanted Mancini to do because he's great when he moves up front, but uh, he was hanging it back and he, he just looked like, if I go forward with the ball, the only man left behind me is Fazio. Yeah, And I don't want to leave him back there by himself. So I feel like our cautious approach where like we had like two free two free defenders at the back, I mean free like F-R-E-E, um, they you know like you, you're wanting them to push up one guy so that you could actually worry Benevento, mm-hmm. but it just didn't happen because um, because of Vazio was there. and that's why I agree with some people if they say, you know what, maybe we should have started one Jesus this match because then you get more pace at the back and, and you can leave them one on one even though, Some people might get a heart attack thinking that you could leave JJ (laughs) at the back one-on-one with anyone. But I'd be one uh, of
0: them.
1: (laughs) Okay, so yeah, maybe maybe it's it's the no-win situation either way. But um, I just felt like it wasn't the formation; it's the personnel. Yeah, and that this is also a way to answer your question: is that you know, do we go forward the back? It just depends on who you have in the team at that time. Mm -hmm. If if you have stronger ball players up front, then sure, go go with less defenders because. The whole reason why we went to three at the back is because we want Mancini, Ibanez and the ballers at the back like we are, and Guevara to, to handle most of the mm-hmm. ball carrying. But if they're injured and they're, they're out in the stretcher, then you've got to go to four at the back because you're not going to you know, start uh, relying on Juan Jesus as your ball player, are you? Uh, yeah. You don't want to be playing Spinazzola out of position too much either way. So, um, yeah, four at the back uh, probably is is a a solution moving forward uh, for for this little mini-injury crisis. How do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, um, the one thing that surprised me the most probably when they did come out in the back three, I wasn't surprised they went back three because uh, Roma's been good with it, and I think Fonseca figured, you know, we'll go with it. Spinazola can fill in back there and and do the job, uh, was that Mancini was the middle of the back three. I thought for sure Fazio would just be sitting in the middle of the back three uh, but I think you're right. I think the pace is what worried um, Roma. Not that Lapadula is super pacey, but Caprari's got decent pace. Uh, and I think Fonseca, and probably for good reason, was worried about leaving Fascio isolated, uh, especially if Spinazzola or Mancini pushed up too high dribbling up. Uh, it might have helped in the offensive aspects of, of things. But um, I guess Mancini had to be that safety blanket yesterday, considering that he was playing with a, a natural wing back and a guy who hasn't played in a while and is older and slower. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think it was more the personnel than the formation. So I think with certain personnel, you might want to look to a back four, uh, especially mm-hmm. against a team like Benevento, who's not really, uh, a imposing team. I think, you know, you can handle their attack with two center backs. And I think that was why this was a match possibly to go to a back four. Um, yeah. and I, I think that's why people were looking at it. Cause then, you know, you might lose a defender, but then, you know, Spinozola plays left back cars plays right back and you can put. Uh, Dior into the midfield uh, as like a third midfielder and he can play a little more defensively and then you give VR and Vertu a little more free reign or something like that is the way I kind of looked at it but um I don't know if yeah, I guess that
1: that sort of answers my, the question I was just going to ask you which is okay so if you go for the back who exactly are you asking to unlock the game up front because I think you're putting more emphasis on the people further forward to yeah. to really do that work that creativity work but, so Diawada is definitely one answer because some people love to say, well, I'm one of them. Uh, they love uh, how he can pass the ball side to side very, very fast in a mm-hmm. way that you know, make, makes the, the opponent run and get tied out. But um, who else? Because like, the only problem I have with us having this conversation is that I personally, I put the responsibility on the front six yesterday for why we drew nil-nil. Yeah, so no, I agree 100%. Who's, yeah, so who, whose performance changes up front if we go for the back?
0: Yeah, and that's the problem because pretty much every attacker we had on the bench outside of Carlos Perez, who uh, is kind of an afterthought now, and Javier Pastore, who hasn't played basically all season, were the only attacking type players left on the bench. So, you know, when you throw on Pedro and you throw on El Shawari and, you know, you already have Pellegrini in the pitch and Mkhitaryan on the pitch for a large part- portions of the match, and you have um, you know, Jek go on to bitch, it, it co- has to come down to those guys. The only player you really lacked moving forward who really does a lot of the attacking was Spinozola for much of the match because he was uh the third center back, but even at times he did push forward and he overlapped with Bruno Perez, so you can't say he was completely stuck in the back for the match. So, uh, I, I put it down to the attack yesterday and just being you know out of ideas and not being able to break down. Uh, a, a pesky Benevento side with their runs, but they have to be better in a match like this. And it, it's, it's funny we have to have a conversation like this because Roma's been so good against these bottom sides all year and we've been yeah. waiting for a season like this for so long. And they finally now we're trying to find flat problems. one. Yeah, now we're trying to find problems with the one poor, poor performance they've had <laughs> against like a bottom 10 side. Uh, I, I just think it's partially too just hitting Benevento at the wrong time with the injuries, with the Europa League, you know, smack yeah. in the middle two Europa League matches. I think that was more of the issue with a lot of the attacking problems too.
1: I, I agree with you because I tell you what, if if Chris Morning is fit yesterday and he plays instead of Fatso, we mm-hmm. don't have this conversation. Yeah. Mancini gets up front and we have one more play up front and we probably unlock the game that way. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I, I think even with Spinazzolo playing as the left center back, I think him and Mancini have so much more free reign with a smalling back True. there that I think, uh, you know, they would have had much less problems breaking them down. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and then the only other thing, this kind of continues a, a run of form where Roma's been much better at the Olympico, unbeaten at the Olympico, still in the league. Um, you know, except for I think that Sassuolo draw and the inter draw, they've been uh, pretty much perfect at home. It's at on the road where they kind of drop points. So it'll be, uh, you know, an interesting thing to see going forward. I know Fonseca mentioned recently that most of their big matches going forward are at home, uh, which he. Yeah kind of hopes will play into Roma's hands and we hope so too, because the first one will be next week against Milan, which we'll take a quick mention soon. But uh, speaking of Milan and the table, you know, uh, Juve did win just uh, a couple hours ago here on Monday. So they have now leapfrogged Roma back into third because of Roma's drop points. Um, And yesterday Atalanta won and Lazio won this weekend. So Roma is now only a point up on those teams. They're four points up on Napoli because Napoli did lose to Atalanta. Uh, And then in front of Roma, where this loss kind of hurts the most, even though Juve did, did jump Roma. I think the thing that hurts the most is that we could have been within three points of Milan um, heading into next week's matchup. And now we're five back. So, you know, we could still make up ground. It, it would be a big head to head win, but can't can't draw level with them and move up the table. So do you think Roma will regret dropping these two points in the end, or you think we'll just kind of look back and it was just like a little blip on the you know season and well, we move past I it. think
1: I hope it's the latter. I, I think what it does do is uh now they have to win those big games. It's not like oh we if we did it'd be a nice bonus but we will you know we'll we'll be in a we'll be in the top four discussion regardless because of our mm-hmm. invincible form. Um, that invincible form is gone. And I know that some people, um, they, they calculated that somehow, like, Roma have to win, like, at least four. No, they said Roma will be all right if you win 40% of your matches against your big rivals. Like, someone actually crunched the numbers and found out you'll get in the top four if you do that for the rest of the season. But now that that number has had to, had to budge. So now you have to win at least half of your games against your remaining big rivals because you've drawn it on to Benevento. So, yeah. sorry, away, away to Benevento. So, um, yeah, that, that's what it's done. Um, I, I don't know if they'll end up living to regret it, but it's, in, the, in the near term, in the immediate future, it means you have to win next, week at, next weekend at the Olympico.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it, the past couple of weeks, I've, I've been writing the match previews for the rest of the league. And, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've been able to talk about head-to-heads between our direct rivals where Roma will have an opportunity no matter what to make up points on at least two teams maybe three teams possibly four if they draw you know you get a surprise Mm -hmm. result like the spezia milan match uh but now going into next week none of the other teams that we're really competing with have a big time opponent coming up um Mm. you know so now it's really roma milan is the the marquee matchup and if roma loses that and everybody else wins then roma can be in big trouble in the the race for the top four because you probably have um lots you out know, a lot to pull even and then you might have napoli a point behind and then you're you then you're in a whole mess and then maybe milan and, and juve are out of reach and then you're really in a dog fight for fourth place so things are going to be interesting on a week-to-week basis and, and Roma's it, not gonna take advantage
1: it was a great weekend for atlanta this weekend yes. if, if you're an atlanta fan you're you're actually chuffed to bits as fine yeah. today ear to ear, because the results couldn't have gone better
0: yeah between roma dropping those points and uh um you know milan dropping points and i just made a mistake i I think rome was actually one point up on lazio and atalanta now not three i think i said three it's one so it's uh yeah a big weekend for atalanta they beat napoli head-to-head so big weekend for them um we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we'll get into the europa league i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons All right, welcome back. So Sean and I are going to dive into the Europa League just a little bit before we leave you this week. We didn't get to, to talk too much about uh, the Braga victory uh, of last Thursday where Roma went to Portugal and got a, a crucial 2-0 win on the road against the Portuguese side. Um, it was a match that you know two away goals and holding a clean sheet are, are always big uh, in a two-legged uh, European fixture, especially when you get that second leg at home. Uh, in some ways it was actually a, probably a disappointing, in my opinion, two nothing win. I thought Roma should have won three, four or five, nothing, especially considering they went up a man in the match. Um, so to only get two goals to me was disappointing. I felt like they needed a third. Um, but you know, you take a two nothing win because it's like I mentioned two away goals. So not the end of the world, but um, you know we hope it doesn't come back to bite Roma, only getting those two. So what were your thoughts on the match on? Because we didn't get to talk about the match uh, prior to today.
1: No, we didn't. And uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed Bren's um, preview piece on Braga. I, I felt like I learned a lot from from that uh, little scouting job he did. And that was a really good piece. I enjoyed it. Uh, but when, when I read it, my, my first thought after that piece was, um, Braga sound like a team that plays into our hands. And that was not entirely, but more, yeah, that was more or less the feeling I had throughout the match as well. I was like, okay, we can let Braga pass it about and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll try and build up the ball up front, like very, like they'll take their time about it. And we'll just be very, very fast about sinking the knife in on the counter. And that's pretty much what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I was thrilled to see Amadou Diwara back and um, making the second assist pass within the first five minutes of the game. Um, So, you know, my my boy Diwara's always put himself on the map when he can. And um, the only really like downside apart from, yeah, the fact that it, it felt like it should have been a 3-0 result, that, that would have felt more right to me than 2-0, mm. uh, given the performance on the day. So that, that was one drawback, but the major drawback was losing, losing Brian Castante so early in the match. Um, yeah. you know, I was like, my God, that uh, that was the really... In, in that department, so that's the last place we need injuries. Um, And then obviously, Ibanez gets you know injured himself with his uh, move in the second half. So that, those were the two negatives for me.
0: Yeah, definitely the two negatives. Uh, The injuries, you you know, we talked about how it affected this match uh, against Benevento that just passed. It could affect the next match against Braga, too, on Thursday. Um, And and Milan. And Milan, too, for sure. Um, Because we don't know exactly when those guys are going to be back. There was a little good news um, to come out of the, the injury front, though, I'll mention as we look ahead to Ben, um, Braga first and then Milan. So, Jacopo Ali who writes for I believe Corriere dello Sport, tweeted today that, um, Cristante has a, an, a great chance of re entering against Braga. He's possibilità, uh, so that's that's positive. So, we might at least get Cristante back for Braga, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the, uh, some of the other injuries. He also said a great chance for Kumbula at least to return against uh, Milan no sooner than Milan and then they're also trying to get back uh, Chris Smalling for Milan but it's a you know developing situation so to speak so we're not sure about Cristante we're not so sure about I mean not rather uh, Smalling or Kumbula but it sounds like Cristante with a great chance to return against Braga um, should be back at least for Milan but you know he's not necessarily the guy you might want against Zlatan Ibrahimović either you know he's more the guy you, you'd, you'd want back for Braga and hopefully get Smalling back for the uh, Milan match but at least there's some maybe, positives on that front
1: maybe you would though because I mean I suppose Smalling is the best option but Cristante I'm convinced that the original reason why Fonseca moved him back was because he needed more aerial presence in mm, defense True. so Cristante versus Ibrahimović could be interesting but uh if Iber makes it a ground game then yeah okay. yeah I mean, it's a yeah, different conversation
0: yeah um we'll see what's what comes out of the small I know the original projection was Milan it seems like they're still working real hard to get him ready for that um and there was no mention of Ibanez which is kind of the the more worrying part because we don't know really I, what's going on with him
1: I, I read Ibanez yesterday it wasn't from Jacopo Aliprande but it was uh on Siamo, Siamo la Roma um, I don't know who the source was, but I, I read he was high risk for Milan. So mm-hmm. it really didn't sound like he was being uh, thought of as in contention for starting yeah. that game. Like, yeah, that's,
0: that's rough too, because then Fiorentina is a quick turnaround after that. So you might be looking at Ivani missing another three matches or so then. Um, so, you know, looking at those injuries, you know, we'll, we'll assume Cristante is back based on the report today. How do you think Roma should approach the match, you know, um, in terms of tactics and terms, and then we can get into the lineup in a minute, but in terms of tactically, how would you approach the match if you're Fonseca up to nothing, um, possibly resting some players? Do you just go for that third goal early to kill it off? Or how do you, how do you see Roma approaching it?
1: That's a very good question. It's a very good question, actually. Um, Cause that affects your, that affects your starting lineup. You know, if, if you want to go for the three nil and, and hit Braga on the break and really demoralize them, then, I guess you stick with the team that's uh, served you well in that front so far. Um, then you're worried about making subs mid midway through the game, uh, which is doable, but hmm, I don't know. Um, it's a really good question, you know, because I-, I had it in mind to really go in the other route, which is like you you play. I mean, well, VR had a terrible game this weekend. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't want to say terrible, like 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 over the top terrible, but like he had a bad game, put it that way. Um, I don't know if you stick with him on Thursday and, you know, you, 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 dropping them at the first chance you get seems like a bit harsh. So uh, what I had in mind was play Viaz and Diawara, which mm-hmm. we've, we've mentioned on the podcast. So, like we've flirted with that idea several times and just hold the ball and really try and take Braga at their own game, like frustrate them that way, demoralise them by keeping on, keeping hold of the ball. But if you fail at that, it could be a very long evening ahead. It's yes. like you can see the goal. Um, and then you 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 worried about okay we just tried to piss them off and instead they just you know punish us for it yeah that could make it a long night so I mean I would still like to see that I would like to see us go down not not see us go down one nil but see us play play possession football with d one VR uh, at the heart midfield but that's just purely because I want to see them play it together um, but yeah the way the way you mentioned it is very interesting going for that quick goal is that that is that what you feel they should
0: do. You know, the normal Italian mentality seems to be, you know, you're up to nothing, defend that lead, play that possession-based football, like like you said. And I, I would almost play those two together, almost because Vertu, I feel like, could use a rest um, yeah. in the midfield. And that's why I would play DiWara and VR because VR had almost the whole um, first leg off. I think he ended up coming in in the 52nd minute, so he had a little more than half the match off. He's got young legs, so... Uh, I'd rather get v- uh, Vertu off the pitch because he played the whole match against Braga the first time, played a bunch of minutes this weekend. I want him rested for Milan because they're going to need those legs in the midfield against Kessier and those guys. Um, but I could see Fonseca, especially because Roma like to seed possession and play on the counter, I could see them seeding possession and trying to hit on the counter for that third goal. And if you can mm-hmm. hit that counterattack fairly early, then you probably kill Braga Spirits at 3-0. But, um, you know... I could see it going either way, but part of me, something about the way Fonseca has operated this year, uh, being an attack minded coach, and he likes the, the, the way Roma's played on the counter and they've had a time, hard time breaking teams down and they don't necessarily need to break Braga down if they hold possession, because they're up two goals. It's just a matter of not conceding. Um, yeah. I wonder if it depends on who's available at center back also, because if you only get Cristante back, then you're probably looking at Cristante Spinazzolo Mancini and, um, so, it's not the most defensively sound group, you know. Spinazol is a good defender for a wingback, Cristante, you know, has his moments. So, I could see them play a little bit on the counter attack, maybe, um, hmm. rather than getting caught out if they turn over possession when they're trying to hold possession and, and have Cristante backpedaling toward goal or something. So, um, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, even, I could even. See- like,
1: even- even last season when we were playing like four two three one, we 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 got caught out in our own half. Like when we conceded goals, it's because we were passing the ball around too much. Mm, so yeah, yeah, this Roma team doesn't really have that makeup to just kill a game.
0: Yeah, and I'm hoping I think Mkhitaryan probably starts just because it's been the the trend this year. I, I'd almost rather them see Mkhitaryan start on the bench um, because you're up two goals already. You don't necessarily need a goal start. Mm. Pellegrini, who basically got the first match off, um, yeah, Pellegrini played not at all the first match so he's pretty you know rested compared to some other guys i would almost play pellegrini and pedro if you want to start pedro again um i don't know if el Sharari's fit enough to start but I, I would go with a different combination of friday i think Mikatarian could desperately use a rest before milan and if guess what if you can stay up to nothing go up three nothing uh on aggregate or maybe three one and you don't need to bring on miktarin all the better um, mm-hmm. But if, you know, Braga finds a goal somewhere in the second half and you want to try to go for one more to kill off the tie, then bring on Mkhitaryan for 20, 20 30 minutes, in my opinion. Uh, or give El Shari 45 minutes if, if he's got it in him. Because I, I think they do need to rest Mkhitaryan in terms of lineup. Um, I think Fonseca's hands are going to be tied a little bit in defense again. Uh, like, we, like we mentioned, I think it's going to be, if Cristante's fit, you'll see Mancini and Spinazzola probably flanking him. Um, and I would like to see Diwara play too, just because he played so well against Braga the first match. Um, yeah. if Fonseca doesn't play comfortable with him in VR playing that possession football, then play him and, and Vertu or him and Pellegrini together, um, and play a different combination of front if you have to, but I would get him on the pitch after such a strong performance and build his confidence a bit, because, uh, if we advance in the Europa league and then we have this Wednesday match against Fiorentina, it's gonna be a busy, uh, couple weeks again, uh, you know, playing two matches yeah. every week for, you know, three of the next four weeks or so probably. So I think you need yeah. him too. Uh, To be a part of it.
1: Well, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the only like red flag I have about this whole line of thinking is that Fonseca last year, um, when it came to like the end of the season, he said, Look, I I trust my experienced players when it comes to the business end of the season. So that sort of suggests that the the longer the season goes on, uh the the smaller that the squad gets. Like the, the smaller the group of players that Fonseca trusts. So I question like how how much we're really going to see of the bit part players from now mm. on, like Carlos Perez or all those the people who I would like to see just like you. Um, but Fonseca it has vocally suggested that he's not that kind of guy to give people chances after, you know, March, April, and uh, may,
0: yeah, so th- this would be the kind of match to, to rest the McItarian then because later in the year, if we're battling for top four those last couple weeks, McItarian might be playing every minute like he's done. Uh, yeah. one other position I didn't bring up is striker. I-, I tend to think Jekyll gets the start in this match. Um, do you think it depends on their approach, or do you think Jekyll starts regardless?
1: I agree, I think Jekyll starts regardless. It's, it's really just a question of how, how much game time do you give him? You know, like, do, do you run him all the way to the end? Is that the best way to? keep him uh, lively for the for the Milan match if you need him? Um, or do you, you know, split it half and half or bring Mayer out early on in the second half? Or, or do, you, do you even go list if you're up 3-0 and just coasting? Mm-hmm. You, you never know. But uh, I think it's just a question of how much game time Jekyll gets, but I think he definitely starts. He definitely yeah. starts sorry. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so, you know, we'll look forward to that. Hopefully Roma comes out with the right mentality, the right approach, and it can kill off the, the match fairly early and we can rest players like we mentioned. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, if Roma give up that goal to Braga within the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, it might get nervy. And uh, we've seen Roma in Europe before kind of give up a goal and then you kind of get nervous and you could falter. So hopefully Roma will will find a third and that that way you force Braga to score three goals um, to eliminate you. And, um, you know, I feel fairly confident that Roma won't go down three goals <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, i'm gonna say that uh a, a little bit hesitantly but i feel pretty confident <laughs> that if we have Cristante and mancini and you know they play the right combination i think roma can pull this out and should pull this out at home because they're this, in the home this, form
1: this is the season where i've seen us lose a match because we couldn't register a player properly <laughs> yeah. uh we lost another match because well we lost that match anyway on the pitch but we lost it by default because we we used one too many subs true so i'm not i'm not ruling anything out at
0: this point that's true. So we'll, we'll leave you at, we'll leave you guys at that. Um, I don't know if we'll be back before the Milan match, but, you know, keep up on the, on the site for all of our coverage uh, for the, both the Braga match and the preview for the, the Milan match. And Sean and I will definitely be back next Monday to break that down. If we're not back sooner to talk about Braga. So, um, you know, to keep up with our, our usual weekly pieces on the site, um, the Roma specific stuff, league wide stuff uh, and all the good stuff we have coming up, Sean, any closing thoughts for the listeners?
1: Um, I just hope that Lorenzo Pellegrini can save his Roma career from this disaster of a weekend where he's met up with trouble. <laughs> it's yeah, you know, I I just hope he's not transferred. Really, like <laughs> save, save Pellegrini, everyone. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, strip him of the armband two weeks after he got it. Why not? <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining.